right, good morning, church. All right, Jeff texted me last night, and he asked if I could preach this morning. I'm just kidding. He texted last night, and he said, thank you for preaching and teaching today. It is a, it is a wait. Um, it's a wait in that you want to accurately teach the Word of God, and you want to bring glory to Him. So it is an honor to be with you, and I pray that I accurately teach the Word of God to you this morning. So my dad would often say, I have good news and I have bad news. So he would say to us boys, he would say this, and then he would say, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? And I would say, give me the bad news first, get it over with so that I have something good to look forward to. Well, in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus Christ, and he's delivering the good news, and he's also delivering the bad news. So you've heard it said before that gospel is good news for those who believe and bad news for those who don't. This passage in Luke is a prime example of how the gospel, although it has power to save, is it offensive to those who do not believe. We see Jesus early in his ministry, in the power of the Spirit, preaching the good news graciously, with the end result being he was chased out of town and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. So I was thinking, if you want to throw me off a cliff after today, let's just go up Highway 60 out to the bridge out here. There's probably the closest cliffs out there. And it's right on the river. There's a soft landing. I think I know some that have even jumped off those cliffs and have lived to, to talk about it. So... What I see important to look at in this passage is the work of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives as believers. So we're in the middle of chapter 4 in the Gospel of Luke as Pastor Jeff has gotten us this far and we've seen the work of the Holy Spirit throughout. The Holy Trinity works together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, united as three persons but one God. One reason we may overlook the Holy Spirit is because the work of the Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus speaking in John 16, 13 through 14 shows us this in the role of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. His role is truth. He is our guide. He is truth. He will speak. He will declare. And then it says he will declare and he will declare again. So these two verses clearly summarize the work of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, our advocate and counselor. Augustine said this of the Holy Spirit, The Spirit is the gift of God insofar as he is given to those he is given to. But himself he is God, even if he is not given to anyone because he was God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, even before he was given to anyone. Nor is he less than they, because they give him, and he is given. He is given as God's gift in such a way that as God, he also gives himself. So as we have studied the book of Luke, we have seen the Holy Spirit work in bringing life, truth, 
and guidance and glory to, in, and through Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to go back to Luke chapter 1 and just briefly go through how Jesus Christ or how the Holy Spirit has worked in and through Jesus Christ in bringing attention to him. So if you go back to chapter 1 in Luke, we'll start off in verse 35. Here we see the angel saying to Mary, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child-to-be will be born, will be called the Holy Son of God. The Holy Spirit was instrumental in bringing Jesus to earth. And then if you jump down to verse 41 and 42, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The Holy Spirit speaking truth through Elizabeth. In Zechariah's prophecy, his benediction in Luke 167, we see Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. In the dedication of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was with Simeon, the priest who would acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, we see the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. And then in, as we studied last week in chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 we read about God's providence and how Jesus, while in the wilderness being tempted, was led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So let's dive into our passage today. We're going to look at Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. We're going to see the Holy Spirit working in the life of Jesus. Starting in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was the custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives in recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say then, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physicians, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in the hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliffs. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. Pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will work in this room today, Lord, to open our eyes to truth, Lord, that you will continue to sanctify us through the Holy Spirit. We worship you because you are a holy God who loves us, who sent your Son to die for us, Lord, and then gave us your Holy Spirit to walk out life and to be more like you. It's in your name. Amen. So we see in this passage... We see Jesus Christ was in the power of the Spirit. We see that he returned home to the town of Nazareth to preach the good news. We see the good news being that he was the coming Messiah who they had been anxiously waiting for. As Jesus read the scroll, the Holy Word, he was claiming to be the risen Messiah, the anointed one. At first they marveled at his gracious words, but then their doubts set in. Jesus didn't stop when their doubts set in. He delivered what would be bad news. The fact that the healing power of God was delivered to two Gentiles through Elijah and Elisha and not to the unbelieving Israelites. This only infuriated all that were in the synagogue more and more, and then they attempted to throw him off the cliff. But Jesus vanished. So what I want to look at first is I want to look at how Jesus was empowered and what that means for us. The why, what, and the how. In Luke 14 and 15, or in Luke 4, 14 and 15, we see, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So we see in the power of the Spirit. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus was here in the power of the Spirit. So why, if Jesus is fully God, would he need to be in the power of the Spirit? Well, Thomas Constable introduces Jesus' ministry this way. Luke again drew his reader's attention to the fact that Jesus was under the control of the Holy Spirit as he began his ministry. The Spirit empowered and enabled Jesus in his words and deeds. Luke would stress his teaching ministry. Luke attributes Jesus' success to his orientation to the Spirit, not his essential deity. Consequently, he was a model that all believers can and should copy. So that's the why, the what, 
What does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? To be empowered by the Holy Spirit is to live and walk opposite of the desires of the flesh. So on Wednesdays, my oldest son, Steele, and I have the privilege of teaching the fifth and sixth, or the fourth and fifth graders. And in that class, we studied the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So in the class, as we're studying the fruits of the Spirit, our activity for the day was to take two large pieces of paper. On one piece of paper, do an outline of a person. On the other piece of paper, do an outline of a large tree, because fruit grows on trees for the most part. And then on these pieces of paper, the students would write out on the person deeds of the flesh, the things that we should not do. And then on the tree, they would write the fruits of the Spirit, things that would be glorifying to God. So the reality being that the two are opposed to each other. If you are satisfying the desire of the flesh, you are not living in the Spirit. If you are empowered by the Spirit, you are, not, you are not satisfying the desires of the flesh, but rather doing the will of God. So Jesus in his ministry was acting in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the how. Paul tells us in Romans about how we are to be empowered by the Spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So how do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit? We meditate on the Lord day and night. We fix our eyes on Him. We fill our time and our minds on the things that are holy and acceptable to Him. And how do we know what is holy and acceptable to Him? Only through His Word, in which the Spirit has opened our eyes to. So remember, Jesus knew the Scriptures. From a very young age, we saw earlier in Luke, Jesus was in the temple. He was in the temple for three days. He wasn't playing ping pong. He wasn't playing pool. He wasn't playing, doing activities. He was there studying the Word of God under the teaching of those that were there. This is just a sample of his young life. He was there sitting under the teaching of the priests, learning about the Word of God. Romans 8, 12 through 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The same Spirit that worked in and through Jesus' ministry, leading him to read the Word of God in Luke 4, 17, as he opened the scroll. The same Spirit that enabled Jesus to preach the good news graciously and boldly in verse 21 is the same Spirit that works in our lives. And the good news for us is that it doesn't end there. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus to minister also led him to the cross where he paid a debt that we owe. And the same Spirit that led Jesus to the cross raised him from the dead. And the same Holy Spirit empowers us to live in light of eternity. Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanses your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? 
in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised to Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We too are empowered by the laboring of the Holy Spirit in truth and love. So that's empowered, anointed. What does it mean to be anointed? In, verses, in verse 18 of our passage, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent to me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Smith's Bible Dictionary says this about anointing. In the Old Testament, a deliverer is promised under the title of Messiah or anointed. And the nature of his anointing is described to be spiritual with the Holy Ghost. In the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth is shown to be the Messiah or Christ or anointed of the Old Testament. An historical fact of being anointed with the Holy Ghost is asserted and recorded. Christ was anointed as prophet, priest, and king. And then the good news for us. Spiritual anointing with the Holy Ghost is conferred also upon Christians by God. Anointing expresses the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit upon Christians who are priests and kings unto God. Verses 18 and 21 are good news for those who believe and bad news for those who don't. Those in the synagogue should have been elated. They should have been jumping up and down like the crippled man who had been healed and able to walk. Jesus here is declaring that he is the Messiah which they have been waiting for. He is the anointed one. Instead, they doubted and became angry. As those who believe, we find comfort and celebrate the anointing of Christ because we too have been anointed. Have you ever been in a room with no windows or it's completely dark? You go in that room, you turn off the lights, there's no light coming underneath the door, you can't see a thing. Well, it's very, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's actually, it's scary. So that is what those in the synagogue saw. They were frustrated and angry in the dark, blind to the fact that Jesus was claiming to be the promised Messiah. So when the lights are turned on, you sigh in relief and are comforted. Well, that's, the whole, that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is illumination. It's turning the lights on and seeing and understanding the truth. When we've been anointed, the lights have been turned on and we can see God for who he is as a loving God who sent his son to die for us. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So with the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes knowledge, comes perseverance, and comes assurance. So how also do we know this? Turn to 1 John 2, 18 through 25, where we see John's warning against false teachers in the coming of the Antichrist. Here he tells how those who believe have knowledge, perseverance, and assurance because of the anointing. So in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. 
there we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Here it is in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. We see the knowledge here. We see the perseverance. We see the assurance that we have in our Lord and Savior through the work of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 goes on to say, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. So then we see the work of regeneration. The work of regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it begins in us the day that we believe. So Jesus gives a picture of the Holy Spirit's anointing in us, in Nicodemus, in the story of Nicodemus. So Nicodemus came to Jesus at night inquiring about who Jesus really was. It was a dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus that we see how the Spirit works. Now, Nicodemus was not much different than those who were in the synagogue. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a bit different than those in the synagogue because Nicodemus was inquiring. Nicodemus had seen the work of Jesus Christ and was seeking and was searching. And Jesus gave him this message in John 3, 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs, signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it washes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Regeneration is the new birth. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus stumped Nicodemus to a point with his figurative language that he was using. He knew Nicodemus was a Pharisee who lived and believed that it was the law that saved, but Jesus also knew Nicodemus was searching. Jesus knew that Pharisees attributed their good works to salvation, and here Jesus was combating their belief with the facts that salvation only comes from faith, a gift from the Holy Spirit. So regeneration is the very beginning of a life anointed by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Richard Furman preached this about regeneration. Regeneration is therefore beyond all contradiction, a supernatural change produced by the Spirit of God. And there is something in its nature which is mysterious and wonderful. But however inscrutable, its effects are certain. Its effects will be repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, a hatred towards sin and a love to holiness supreme love to God and an unfeigned benevolence to men. The work of the Holy Spirit is undeniable in our lives. It's a miracle that happens in us. It's regeneration. It's empowerment. It's anointing. So in conclusion, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He did not shy away from the truth. He spoke the good news And he spoke the bad news, even when he sensed hostility. The the same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the gospel. The same Holy Spirit that cleanses, that sanctifies, and delivers us. In him we find comfort, peace, and the ability to do as he does. Galatians 5, 24 through 25 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit by abiding, by fixing our eyes on Him, by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ and His Word. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our undeserving souls. And then He didn't stop there. He gifted us with a helper that would live in us, working to transform us from the day we have been born again to our glorification. The Lord is the Lord of your life. I encourage you to live empowered by the Holy Spirit as we have the same Spirit working in us that worked in Jesus Christ. I want to end with this verse, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth.